we ought to pursue our theological studies in piety, in an act of worship and service as a duty and a religious duty and activity to God. But he is aware that dangers lurk nearby. And one of those is he admits that it's possible for someone to pursue theological studies with a entirely secular spirit. Welcome back to Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reform Seminary. This is episode 30, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for joining us. Dr. J. Mark Beach and Dr. Cornelis Venema continue their discussion on B.B. Warfield's essay on the religious life of theological students, this time addressing the lurking dangers that attend theological studies. Warfield does admit that dangers are nearby and that there's two main ones that he's concerned about. The first comes when theological studies are pursued in an entirely secular mindset, done merely as an academic performance inattentive to the spiritual subject matter. The second danger uh, being the study of theology occasioning a, a subtle kind of contempt for or indifference toward it. I'm going to give it over to Dr. Beach and Dr. Venema to speak more on these two dangers. I hope you enjoy. People might find it strange I, uh, that seminary should never be a desert it ought to, or a wasteland. Seminary, on the contrary, ought to be your richest opportunity for spiritual growth and development. Well, Warfield's all in favor of that, but he's also aware that sometimes that's not how it goes, that the overwhelming weight and difficulty of theological studies seems to divert students and uh, derail them or put them on a detour of, well, I'll work hard academically, but I'll have to put the spiritual life on hold. So he's addressing this, and he's, as we've already discussed, made the strong point that there is no antithesis between books and piety, that we ought to pursue our theological studies in piety, in an act of worship and service as a duty and a religious duty and activity to God. But, and he's very emphatic here, he is aware that dangers uh, lurk nearby. And one of those is he admits that it's possible, it shouldn't be, but it's possible for someone to pursue theological studies with a entirely, his words, entirely secular spirit. So uh, perhaps beginning there, uh, he, he proposes a solution to that. But I'll throw that out to Dr. Venema. Uh, what, what do you think he means by pursuing theological studies with an entirely secular spirit? Well, secular, he's using that language in contrast to religious, and I might prefer piety or spiritual, where you engage the task not in a conscious awareness of the relationship that you have to the, to the God whose revelation you're studying and to the desire that through your study 
and learning and growing in your knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, you're you're growing and deepening even in your own knowledge of the living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that a secular way of pursuing, it's merely what he calls a sort of reductionistic, merely an intellectual enterprise. I think in this connection, he uses even the language of we all know the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt. After all, you take a course in doctrinal studies or systematic theology dealing with the doctrine of God. It's sometimes said that the topic of God's attributes can become a dry and arid topic because there are some very difficult intellectual and uh, in terms of understanding and appreciating the infinite majesty, the extraordinary way in which God as transcendent creator, the triune God, even the doctrine of the Trinity, to sort that out. And students can be very quickly ready to uh, not pursue very far. They're satisfied with a surface acquaintance. And part of the issue there is there's a false separation between growing and deepening and grasping to the extent possible the riches of what the scriptures make known to us about God, there should be in that, you don't need to step aside and go to chapel or spend time in your own, as he talks later, prayer closet, uh, communing with God in prayer. Shouldn't there be a sort of seamless transition of the one to the other? When I, for example, in a course this semester dealing with the so-called filioqua, <laughs> the way in which the person of the Spirit relates to Father and Son, I tried to as best I could along the way as we were dealing with some very difficult issues in Trinity theology to say to the students, well, this is, this is a part of the warp and woof of your prayer. To whom do you come? And by and by what authority and whose name and in the power and presence. You know, Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. Um, you have communion with the Father through the Son, in whose name you come and present yourself before God, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a very concrete illustration. It's not that everything we do in theology has that sort of immediate connection with our life of prayer or our relationship to God, but it's illustrative of that. And if you have any appreciation for theological discussions about how the Father relates to the Son, the Son to the Father, those are very close to the heart of our life as believers in fellowship, belonging to God the Father through Christ the Son and indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption. So uh, again, the main point is I think the students need, if they're going to pray as well as work, and he does talk about that later, uh, aspects of the so-called religious life of a theological student that we would call more obviously corporate worship or prayer and communion with God, that has to suffuse also your activity in the classroom. That I am even becoming a better reader of Scripture, paying attention to the language, and its use, why do we act as though that 
is in any way not a true act of devotion. If someone speaks to us, I mean, I know this all the time at home when I'm speaking to my wife, if I'm not listening, this is disrespectful. And she picks up on it. And I wasn't paying attention. Well, part of the hard work of exegesis is paying attention to what God is saying and the way he chooses to say it. And it's a struggle. I don't think we should say in a discussion like this, it's the reason Warfield addressed it in his day. It's the reason we need to address it in our day. But I want the students to come to a point where they recognize that this intimacy of acquaintance with God's Word and with theological discussions based upon an understanding of that Word, this too is, you know, if we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, says Paul, which is our spiritual worship, that's synecdity, our bodies. That means ourselves. Well, that includes our minds. We serve him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to get the students to sense that is also important for their future ministry. Because once they graduate from seminary, we're not pleased when we see on the table in the coffee shop they're selling all of their Hebrew texts and concordances and so on, because we won't need those anymore now that we're going into the ministry. I remember uh, when I was an MDiv student, you would see uh, certain students who were constantly selling their books as soon as uh, a class was finished. And I always thought, well, okay, maybe not absolutely every textbook you have, you know, you're going to be digging into much. But this, this would be surprising, the sort of books they would, and it's like, you don't need this anymore? You're going to need this book the rest of your life. Part of what I find interesting is uh, Warfield takes this up, is pursuing studies with a secular spirit in an ungodly, merely kind of cerebral way, is that we have examples of theologians who actually engage deep things worshipfully. For example, I always think of Augustine. The first time I read St. Augustine's Confessions, his sections of City of God both come to mind. He almost writes theology like he's talking to God as he's engaged in it. And it is an act of worship for him. I think that's something that needs to bleed over into all of us uh, you you are. God is listening. I always tell, I teach doctrine of God, as you know, and I always uh, tell the students, isn't it interesting? Here we are, doctrine of God. That ought to almost embarrass us as God's listening in. <laughs> yeah. What do you have to say about me? <laughs> you know, as if God might have a big grin on his face, like, oh, shaking his head sometimes of, you know, yes, you do see through a glass dimly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're all a bit dim-witted. Uh, but we need then to have humble, submissive uh, hearts that even reaching as high as we can with our minds, it's all very small. That that keeps us in a worshipful, humble spirit, and I think that's part of what Warfield uh, wants us. If it's a wasteland, could it be because there's pride attendant with knowledge? I mean, pride, uh, knowledge puffs up. I think the reason some students experience seminary as a spiritual wasteland is because they've lost that. They've lost, uh, they've failed to actually pursue academic studies, which is hard work. Yeah, welcome to the club, hard work. 
hard work on these topics in a worshipful, humble, submissive manner. The other thing I always think of is, and the ministry is going to be easier. Oh, to be sure, it won't have the sort of grading and tests and paper writing. But now you're alone in your study trying to figure this passage out, and you don't have the same vast library that a seminary would offer you. And uh, you don't have ready professors or students at hand to uh, give advice and bang ideas off of. In other words, uh, the ministry can be a spiritual wasteland. So it's not unique to seminary. If, if you're letting seminary be that, well, maybe the ministry will be that for the same sort of person. So I think it's important that uh, we look at that danger. The other danger Warfield talks about here, invite Dr. Venom's comment, is, is that we can just become indifferent because we are immersed. The theological student is immersed in Bible, in theology, in the things that deal with ministry to the church. And that, well, familiarity breeds contempt, that the great privilege occasions, I think, occasions the great danger. Warfield puts it something like that. Comment on that, if you would, Dr. Venom. Well, one of the things that Warfield points out is that you have actually, as far as any vocation, even a vocation like the ones I described earlier, where you're not busy day-to-day in the reading of Scripture, in reading textbooks in theology, where you're not engaged with directly God's revelation and all the things that theology involves, you have in any vocation a similar kind of challenge to be constantly aware, conscious, even intentional about what am I called to do in this vocation? And he has a, he has a bit of a... It's Warfield, so he doesn't come right out with it. He's a Princeton theologian of an earlier generation. But there's a little bit of a scold at times in the essay against the theological student who's sort of complaining that their spiritual life is becoming barren in terms of all of this hard intellectual endeavor. Shame on you, basically, he says. You're reading the Word of God from morning till night. You're studying for some Old Testament or New Testament course. You're taking courses in systematic theology. You're engaging questions of how do I do what the ministry requires in your ministerial studies courses or what sometimes is called practical theology courses. Uh, Shame on you uh, that you don't, one, recognize the privilege that you are. Here's a Christian brother or sister who spends their day, they go off to the factory. They go off to the field to plant the seed, to harvest at the end of the year. You don't think that their task isn't often menial and seemingly humdrum? And here you are in this privileged circumstance of day-to-day, day-in and day-out, engaged in a whole variety of subjects, all of which are self-evidently bringing you into contact with the God who speaks and who is there. And uh, I guess 
it's a little difficult for me, not that I don't have this struggle. We all do. It's, it's, it's a constant struggle. Um, but I sometimes find it a little difficult to appreciate since when I was a student in seminary, I guess I was an egghead. I'm not sure what I was. But to quote one of my former colleagues, to read a book of G.C. Burkhauer and studies in dogmatics and to sit around a table and be able to chat with students about the things I'd read, oh, I couldn't get enough of that. That that was great stuff. And we've had, Dr. Beach and I have had this conversation from time to time. One One thing we look for in our students and we hope to be able to cultivate at least a bit of it and kindle the flame and keep it burning, is intellectual curiosity. Uh, speaking of books, you know, Dr. Beach mentioned selling books. Uh, one of my classroom exercises, I don't know that it goes over always that well with the students, is to bring a pile of books to class and then I show them, here's a book that you might want to have in this area. You know, there are a lot of books you don't need, but these are the tools. On this topic, here are two or three, four books that you want to have. Now, I'm a little worried when I see in the student's eye a bit of a glazing over or I don't have enough money to buy that. And that's just going to clutter up my library. And uh, Well, I want to say to them <laughs> rather more bluntly, I'm spending the time telling you about these books because you need to build a library if you're going to be a, a minister of the Word of God. And not a meager library, but a well-supplied library. There's another seminary professor at Princeton. Uh, I forget who it was now, but I've given his essay out, and it was on the buying and collecting of a library by a theological student. Now, maybe we can do that all electronically, electronically nowadays. Uh, but that too is part of this whole, that you're getting tools and these are the tools you need. A carpenter's got to have a well-supplied uh, set of tools and the best tools, the better quality of the tool, the better the work. And there's no way a minister who's going to be, again, apt to teach is indifferent to collecting the best tools. That's very uh, important. I always think of the tools, something like even uh, of a handyman or a mechanic. Uh, well, do you use all those tools? Well, I do, and I need that tool. Have you read all those books? Uh, well, they're there to use when I need that book. But, you know, Warfield uh, is hopefully has his fingers on some important dangers. The great privilege occasions this great danger of treating, becoming indifferent to secular things. And he, you're right, he does have a scolding that goes on there. If you're not worshiping in the act of studying theology, then you're likely hardening yourself. Uh, if you're not humble and open, then you're becoming indifferent. And so he does basically say, be warned, be warned. Uh, and he urges us then to pursue theological studies in this devotional kind of way. God's listening, God's hearing. And he does make a distinction between sleep, sweeping a room and theological studies. You have, the theological student, the great privilege that many people would like to have of theological study. They're a truck driver, and they listen to tapes or stream tapes and so forth, uh, recordings, 
that's you know they're they're hungry for this and now you have opportunity to do it but now that it's work <laughs> it's not as spiritual well warfield disagrees so he warns us he says we need to be devotional this way and he says that means doing your studies in the lord for his sake and that's true of the ministry you need to pursue all aspects of ministry in the lord for his sake Well, next we're going to turn to his remedies, the sort of solutions he proposes. So we'll look at that next. Well, with dangers, there comes remedies. Warfield lays those out for us in his essay, uh, which Dr. Beach and Dr. Venema will comment on next time here on Roundtable. Be sure to tune in on a variety of platforms. You can find us on sermonaudio.com as Mid-America Reformed Seminary. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Podcast Addict. Be sure to search Mid-America Reformed Seminary on those sites. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.